slightly delayed uh october episode of the instruction booklet i am the ghost that is haunting your ears uh that's also your host jeremy and i am joined by my co-host a man who checks every single box in the room before he exits the next room because you know you gotta have that ammo and save points and that is michael what's up michael you know what the worst part is is i will uh, meticulously check rooms for resources in games like you know uh, elden ring or anywhere that you can hoard potions like skyrim mm. and then i won't use them because i'll be like well i may need them in the future right <laughs> yeah. and if i can beat it right now then that just proves that i didn't need it right now and then i'll end the game with my my inventory full of potions and items that would have made it a lot easier right i i did that in a mm. in quake 4 um there's like the most powerful gun in the game and I didn't use a single bit of its ammunition because I kept hoarding it thinking I'm, I, I'm going to need this at some point. And then when I got to the final boss, my most powerful weapon in the game was like had like like 400 rounds and I just annihilated the final boss. Yep. But that's what years of playing Doom games have done for me. I've tried I've tried to overcompensate in recent years. Mm hmm. Like, I, I know that I have this tendency, and so actually, when some of the more recent games that I've played, um, I try and intentionally let myself be more wasteful, but then sometimes it ends up actually being uh, a problem, and yeah. so... Okay. Well, you know, as always at the beginning of our episodes, just, uh, Michael, what you've been up to lately? What you've been reading, watching, you know, ingesting in terms of media or video games? Oh, uh, well, I've been, I've been playing a lot of Mortal Kombat 1. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very fun and I think well-designed fighting game at its core that is plagued with all sorts of polish issues that really, um, just are kind of, I don't know, like the game could have used a couple more months in the oven, possibly weird bugs like, uh, port priority, like player one actually has an advantage even online in Mortal Kombat 1, which is like ridiculous. Oh yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Um, and I've been replaying Frostpunk, mm -hmm. um, which is that, you know, like a settlement builder game where it's like a alternate history ice age brought about by the dimming of the sun and the, uh, eruption of a volcano. I'm actually teaching a course, uh, at my university this semester on science fiction and the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but since my area of interest is largely in video games, one of the things that I've been trying to think about over the past couple of months is 
what the proper way to try and teach a video game in the classroom is. Um, and actually, I want to teach Frostpunk this semester, and I intend to do so. It's on the syllabus. Um, but that means that I have to, I think, record like a playthrough of it for my students. Yeah. Um, rather than, you know, I could invite them to play it on their own. But I do think as far as class discussion is concerned, it's easier for me to curate exactly what it is that they're seeing about the game as a text if I give them a video. That's, um, but that's unfortunately, I'm, I'm bad at the game. And so I spent three and a half hours the other night trying to uh, do a playthrough only for the run to tank in like, I don't know, probably the last 30 minute stretch. Oh, that's not fun. Yeah. So I got to do it again at some point. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Watched anything good recently? Yeah, I just been, I've been catching up on the boys. Um, I let myself fall behind sometime early in season two. And now that Gen V is coming out and, you know, the boys is, I mean, Homelander is going to be in Mortal Kombat 1, which I'm very excited for, alongside Omni-Man, which I'm even more excited for. Oh, yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I figured it was time to just catch up. I've been wanting to watch something again recently, so. That reminds me, they're like, we're, we're supposed to be getting that second season of Invincible soon. Yeah, very soon. Um, I'm hopeful. I think Robert Kirkman has actually said he could see the show going for anywhere from six to eight seasons. Wow. Um I mean, I've read, having read all the comics, I think he's right. Mm. Though I do think that with a very efficient, like, storyboard plotline thing, you could probably do six seasons. I feel like eight might be a little long, but it depends. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I've been, like, knee-deep in Armored Core. Uh, nice. It's been a lot of fun. I, it was so funny because, like, I, was, I told myself I wasn't going to do any, like, crazy customization stuff. I was just going to play through the game and then, like, tinker with, like, designing cool mechs. And then I wound up building, like, Gundam Heavy Arms. And then I wound up making a design for Chopper from Rebels. Nice. Uh, just as, like, to be goofy. And then I started making one for Gojo from Jujutsu Kaisen. Nice. Uh, just, like, I just wanted to do, like, silly stuff. But the game is a lot... The game is, like, super tight. Like, I really like the controls. Um, what sold me on finally just pulling the trigger and buying it... Like, I was going to get it at some point, but what, what prompted me to get it early was... Uh, I read a review where someone said, it's just a bullet hell, and I was, like, sold. Like, I love bullet hells. Um, so yeah, I've been playing that, uh, I've been playing, with it being October, I started my first stream episode of, uh, Hollow Knight, I'm gonna try and do the 112 slash 120% uh, nice. run, and then, uh, I'm trying to think, I was playing something else, I was, I'm still playing a little bit of Bleak Sword DX, that game's been kind of fun, it's like my, like, feeling, scratching that itch of, like, a, a souls S game, um, and, uh, mostly been watching I've been just watching a lot of anime uh, I finished Ahsoka and started Loki and then nice uh, reading I'm working my way through the second book of the Southern Cross trilogy right now Southern Reach yeah Southern Reach thanks I just yeah. it's all it's different it definitely reads a lot different from the first book oh it's so different um, I've encouraged my students to read it because I actually they just read Annihilation like two weeks ago yeah and it's really weird having read Annihilation and there are parts of the second book of like authority where it's like some of the reports don't line up and I'm just right. like, okay, what's going on here? Like fun stuff like that. Oh, and I yeah. finished uh, the second, I finished the other Blake Crouch book that I was reading uh, called Recursion that was phenomenal. 
Nice. It was like a book talking about like uh, memory and like how we map memories in our brain <laughs> in like a weird sci-fi way. So I that sounds interesting. I highly recommend it. And I and if you read it and you enjoy it, go read his other book called Dark Matter because it's also amazing. And I promise that I'm not getting paid for any of this. So, but yeah. So, uh, so I guess to talk about a little bit of our episode today. With it being October, we wanted to do something kind of or spooky, whatever related, because it's a spooky season. Uh, and we kind of settled on talking about something that's kind of neat and we think hasn't been, like, it's been talked on some, but it's something that's kind of, like, cool to us, which is talking about, like, horror and, the, and like, how environmental design can really push and influence horror themes or feels in games. And granted, this may not be, like, entirely a game that's, like, like, if you're playing a game that's not even necessarily a horror game, but it has, like, sections where the atmosphere of just how well they did and worked on the environment really kind of helps push that. So, and uh, I think the one we, we kind of let off with where we're, we both were, like, in agreement is, like, Dead Space. Yeah. Uh, the original Dead Space, and even, I haven't played the remake yet, uh, is, like, the peak example of, like, amazing environmental design to really push that like horror feel mm -hmm. like uh i love the sound design in that game the sound design is really good um the remake i think the lighting is drastically improved nice uh on the original i played the original before i actually played the remake so i could have it fresh in my head to see kind of what the comparisons were and uh, you know, like a lot of games in like the early 2000s, I feel like have weird electric lighting problems, which mm -hmm. is to say like the brightness feels like it's turned way up. Maybe it's like a TV thing. You know, there might be considerations with regard to what, um, you know, you could expect television resolutions and brightness to be like during that time. But just looking at the remake, I mean, it's so much darker and it makes so much more sense that it's dark. Yeah. Um, I guess for folks that don't know uh, or have never heard or played, Dead Space is a game that is a sci-fi horror game where you play as this guy who is going to investigate a, or he is there to repair a down ship that its whole job is to like crack open planets and harvest them for resources. And uh, his wife was on the ship and they have lost contact and they get there and let's just say things go sideways. <laughs> uh there's weird, bizarre creatures that are like amalgams of humans that you have to dismember to kill. So they're not like your typical zombies. So, necromorphs. Yeah, the necromorphs. Um, they, they look very much like, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. And that they grow inside of human bodies and then they end up kind of twisting the carcasses and turning into creatures that, you know have human anatomy but are decidedly not human in the way that they use their bodies yeah and the just the opening minutes of that game is still just like burned into my mind of like walking down a corridor and you could just hear stuff above you like skittering through vents and you know mm -hmm. the lights are yeah like you're saying they're flickering and you can see like shadows of stuff and it's just like the tension ratchets rat, ratchets up in that game so quick right it's a very good game um, in terms of putting you in a room and, and making it very difficult for you to figure out where exactly the next threat is going to come from. Mm -hmm. um, especially if you're playing with like good surround sound headphones. 
you can hear things above and behind you crawling through the vents but then you know it'll just disappear until all of a sudden a vent pops out on the other end of the room and the thing charges out at you yeah and just like panic sets in where you're like you're trying to frantically dismember this thing Mm -hmm. it's and like uh, there's like so much about that game that like even outside of the environmental like just talking about like 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 with like the UI and stuff like that like it was very well made. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two of my favorite things about Dead Space that I think really sell it as probably still probably actually one of the scariest games that I've played, or at least one of the most unnerving games that I've played. I I, I side note. I think I prefer to use terms like, you know, unnerving or unsettling because frankly, I think scary is kind of like, it's like a hot sauce tolerance thing where it's like, it depends on who you ask. Right. You know, if a hot sauce is hot, it's going to change. The answer is going to change based on who's eating it. I don't find a lot of things scary. I really like certain scary movies. I actually just watched Hereditary again over the weekend. Yeah. Um, I'm less interested in things that cause me to, I don't know, jump or like get scared so much as I am with recognizing things that I recognize as being, I don't know, horrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Dead Space, I'm just going to say one of the most deeply unsettling and uncomfortable horror games that I've played. Oh, yeah. Um, for, For two reasons. I think the zero gravity sections, and this kind of goes into our theme of environmental design, um, it is terrifying to be put into a large, like, three-dimensional space and to have, like, your your y-axis just kind of turned on its head. I yeah. mean, there are sequences in this game where I genuinely do not know which direction is up. I don't know to what direction of the room I'm supposed to be going in. It's actually quite difficult to maneuver um and that really kind of turns up to 11 my earlier claim about you don't know where the next threat is going to come from because in a lot of these sections you're also in zero oxygen vacuum settings and the sound goes out and all you can hear is like the muffled sound of isaac breathing yeah um and it's just like the threat i mean the enemies can come from anywhere they can they can pop out of a a vent on you know the ground near your feet a couple of feet away um they can come from above. They can come from anywhere in the room because there's just no gravity. Yeah. And that is so disorienting. I was I always had to you know breathe a sigh of relief when those sections were done because it was genuinely stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you made a comment earlier about you know how they're the necromorphs in the game are not like traditional zombies. This is more of a mechanical comment, um, but I do feel it worth mentioning. Dead Space, especially the original, they've made some quality of life changes to the remake, but the, the controls are not good. They don't, they're not very smooth, and they're not quick and snappy like you would expect a contemporary shooter to be. And on top of that, the necromorphs defy traditional zombie killing logic. You know, so many, I think, media zombie things since the early 2000s conventional wisdom has been you shoot it in the head because that destroys i don't know the, yeah. the central nervous system and you know they can't the bodies just die well yeah you think about like games like resident evil that's like kind of where they they kind of like instilled that in your head right so many games i just i i think dead space is the only obvious example that pops to mind or comes to mind that where it's like that's actually not what you not want to do 
Like, right. you need to dismember the necromorphs to kill them. And so, in fact, shooting the heads is often a waste of ammo. Mm-hmm. You need to shoot the arms, you need to shoot the legs, you need to find any way that you can basically to render their bodies inert or non-threats, and that's how you kill them. And that coupled with, I think, what I would describe as being sluggish controls, and that's not a critique of the game. I actually think that it's a feature of the game that the controls are a little bit sluggish. Yeah, like um, it was an for... intentional design choice. Right. It makes the combat sections very frantic. You know, I genuinely feel like I'm not uh, a trained soldier. I feel like I am some dude who is just like, you know, an overworked mechanic who doesn't, you know, you've got the equivalent of like a nail gun, right? You don't have a real weapon for a while at least. Yeah. Um, and you are now in a situation where you are fighting these otherworldly creatures. Um, I just think it's a masterpiece, really. Yeah, it's like like you talk about like with the sluggish controls and like it's kind of like you know there's like a section in the game where um, was it is it like a it's like a military ship arrives to like help mm-hmm. you or like aid you and they just get completely overwhelmed and you encounter enemies that actually are fast and those sections of the game are still like parts where I remember being like it's like not on top of this, like there's like, there are a couple of those years G sections throughout that part. There are sections where it's like big open space rooms. And it's like, it's different because the game does a great job of continuing to be like claustrophobic. That is like something like, I think really like helps that game is like you, the majority of this game is like, it's a spaceship. It's like, think, think like alien where it's like Mm -hmm. tight corridors. You're fighting things that eat up the entire size of the hallway. And they're really like, you know, emphasizing this like yeah you're just a guy who he was there to fix this and shit went sideways yeah uh but like when you get to this military ship it's like it's bigger and now these slow you know weird creatures that you were fighting are now fast Mm -hmm. and the scramble is such like it's like you know it's a high adrenaline moment but there's still like that tension and that like uneasiness of like well, something's different here. What, why is this different? Right. What is this space? Like, and you know, th- using the environment in such a way like that to where it's like, Oh, they present you with something that's like, Hey, here's this open space. And you're kind of like, Oh, that's great. Oh, but here's this other threat. That's going to completely subvert everything else that we've done. Yeah. A lot of the early game, you know, you, you get coddled into, dealing with slower necromorphs and so i think it's genuinely surprising when they start to really uh turn up the heat Mm -hmm. and it makes it a lot more stressful yeah i think that's i think yeah i think that's something that's like you know the element of a good horror game to really like help build that tension and that you know unsettledness is like putting like like what you were saying earlier like putting someone out of their comfort zone uh and then when you give them their comfort zone every now and then completely just turning it upside down to where it's like, it's no longer a comfort. Right. Yeah. You normally write open spaces are, are welcome. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't, you know, get me out of these uh, corridors, these claustrophobic, you know, like I don't have room to move around, but yeah, dead space changes that by, by giving you these ridiculous, you know, uh, zero gravity sections. Yeah, or these, like, insane combat encounters. Yeah. 
I think I think genuinely the weakest moments of Dead Space are just the boss fights. Yeah, that's um, they're kind of like generic, like point gun at obvious uh, weak spot and just kind of avoid big attacks. Yeah, I think it's hard to do boss fights well in in horror games historically. I mean, that's my opinion at least. But I think you know you mentioned Alien. Um, people go back and forth on whether or not Alien or Aliens is like the best movie in the franchise. Mm-hmm. I am a stalwart defender of the original Alien. Same. Um, on the grounds that I think Aliens, while still a good movie, turns into more of an action movie. It does, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 just the problem of we've become too familiar with what it is that we're doing. We're too good at surviving. And that kind of, Dead Space 2 and 3 kind of had a similar problem where by the time Dead Space 3 came around, it was just like, yeah, you know the drill, right? Oh. There's necromorphs, you know, guns. I think uh, uh, Zero Punctuation said it best about Dead Space 2 is there's the sequence at the very beginning of the game where you're, Isaac is strapped to a table and this guy comes in and he turns into a necromorph like right in front of your face. And it's just this middle of the screen face of this guy. And he's like, it's like the game going, are you scared yet? Yeah. Isn't this just scary? And he's like, at that point, you've just lost me. Yeah. Like, there's so many sequences in that game that have so many like quick time events. Like you're sliding down a tower that's falling and there's this big necromorph tumbling and i'm like this is just a set piece out of an action movie yeah dead space 2 is far more concerned with spectacle than the original is mm-hmm. um i mean you can definitely tell too by how much they they saw that people loved the graphic ways in which isaac could die in the original yeah um and so dead space 2 kind of made it a feature of the game that there were so many different interesting death animations uh, to the point now where even the most recent, you know, Pal- uh, Callisto Protocol from from the same dev was, like, selling different death animations as, like, a DLC pack, which is, like, ridiculous. Yeah, just, just make a good game. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like, you know, so back to my point, I guess, it's like the boss fights are moments in which the game turns from survival horror into a third-person shooter. Yeah. Um, I think the one exception is the the unkillable necromorph that you actually have to like lead into the um I think you have to freeze it at first and then you have to like blast it with the the jets from the ship in the second time you fight it. Oh it's it's like the uh, the Mr. X like nemesis moment. Yeah. I think puzzle bosses like situations where you it's uh, it's clear that you as you know, this regular engineer with a plasma cutter are not simply outgunning this insanely powerful creature. You are clearly at a disadvantage, and so you have to run and you have to hide and you have to find some way to turn the tables on it rather than just, like, shooting it, which is how the other two bosses in the game are fought. Right. And even, like, the last boss is kind of the same way. It's just yes. a big spectacle boss, uh, shoot a couple of weak points, and you're done. Yeah. The, the last stretch of that game, if it feels so out of place. Yeah, when you get to the planet, it's that's the weakest part of the game, I think. Yeah, at, at that point, it kind of like, kind of going back to our thing, it loses the environment at that point. Yeah. So. But uh, I think some other, like, you know, some other good uh, ideas of, like, games that use great environment to apply the uneasiness or unsettling kind of thing, and, and this was, like, one that kind of jumped to my mind, like, when I was going through this was control. Yeah. Uh, control is, 
I, I, I had heard about it. I never played it and then it went on sale and a friend of ours convinced me to buy it. And I, I'd watched him play it and then I got to playing it and I was like, Oh my God, this game is like just the idea of that game. And like that game, isn't scary to me uh, at all. Um, that game is more like fascinating, but like mm-hmm. the times when that game starts to get really weird or it kind of like has that same effect you were talking about with the zero G because in control, you're inside this like weird anomalous house that can move and shift and when that there are times in that game when those shifts happen or the the environment has like a drastic change that it's it's like which it, it like it throws me for a loop and like suddenly I'm out of my element I don't know what's happening there's like bizarre things going on and it's just like it's this complete like you know upside down moment where I don't know what's happening and it's this un, unsettling uneasiness that it gives me mm-hmm so um control is a very interesting example i also think it's funny that you know you're reading the southern reach trilogy right now because when i first played control i was very much thinking about authority the whole time oh okay um also because the character's name is control but maybe that's neither here nor there (laughs) yeah um i think that control does something amazing Mm -hmm. well first of all i love the media the multimedia storytelling in control i think that there is it's possibly the best game that i've seen handle environmental storytelling in terms of hiding information about the game and then the the narrative and the world in various things like you can find email memos between employees working at the oldest house you can find literal live action recorded videos yeah Uh, you get phone calls you can find tapes i mean i don't I can't think of another game that uses so many different kinds of media in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, which, as somebody who's kind of interested in, like, you know, media theoretical research, um, I was just super fascinating to me. Yeah, that- I do think I do think that sometimes it gets a little bit much because sometimes I feel like I'm actually breaking the flow of the gameplay too much to find all of the things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that that game that game has really great presentation. Yes. Uh, but like it, it's it's one of those games that like I, I it that game I wouldn't classify as like horror, but there are horror parts in that game, and when it does it, it does it very well due yeah. to how they designed it. Like you know, they did the DLC because this this was the same people who made Alan Wake. There's like the whole Alan Wake section where it's like the darkness is literally trying to kill you, and it's like this is really neat. This there are times when I am. I feel that threat here. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's uh, games that can trigger that fight or flight response in your brain from like segments like that, I think are really like achieving like, you know, the horror element that we're looking for. Right. Um, Alan Wake is another good example. Mm. I think, I think a lot of games benefit in terms of really kind of doing like triggering that fight or flight response. Um, either by, overwhelming the player Mm -hmm. which is something that i think is a a feature of like the zero gravity sections of something like dead space yeah um you are having to deal with so much so quickly and you know perhaps there's so many options that you're not sure what you should should do um or 
I think by actually limiting the player's freedom and, and also limiting their knowledge of what's going on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, like, claustrophobia can really, like, you know, like, you know, it, 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 there's a reason it's a phobia like that. Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, not to jump the gun on, on control if you wanted to say more about it, but, like, one of the games that I have here mentioned that I think would kind of go in the opposite direction, so, like limiting the player's freedom and limiting their, their ability to have access to you know the full story and the world around them i mean like iron lung got really popular uh i think last year or the year before right um which was this like small indie game that kind of blew up on steam and then blew up again uh when the submarine imploded earlier this year yeah i, um, I remember reading about that <laughs> it was morbid but also kind of funny right um iron lung is a game in which you are a convict who has basically been sentenced to death and you are used in a uh, space exploration pro program the the narrative setup is a little bit convoluted you know it's some you know post-apocalyptic rapture kind of situation but you are sent down into an ocean of blood on another planet and you are sealed into a submarine that is designed basically to be your tomb yeah uh, you you know that it's a one-way trip to begin with uh, which is kind of scary because you know, it's deeply claustrophobic. Um, the game itself is actually played from a first-person perspective where you are playing as this character, and you can walk around, you know, WASD, you can look around with the mouse, but actually there's very little room for you to walk around because your entire game world is just the inside of this, like, I don't know, five-foot-long submarine. Mm -hmm. um, and the only way that you can see the world outside of the submarine or rather the ocean outside the submarine is you have like an old school style camera strapped to the front of the submarine in which you can take pictures that take like a couple of seconds to develop. And so there's always this delayed response. You know, something could be swimming right in front of the submarine and you would have no idea because you actually don't have a viewing port. Yeah, And at any moment that you decide to take a picture, you actually have to wait like a second or two to see a picture. And it's a static picture. And not only is it a static picture, it's like a low-resolution static picture. So oftentimes, you can't even be sure what you're looking at. And that is deeply unsettling to me as a player. Um, right, because it's like it's taking everything away from you. And the only way right. you know what's going on is through a really terrible sequence of like, like, Oh, here's this really, is this the thing that's going to kill you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I do think, I mean, not to get too theoretical here, but like Sigmund Freud writes a lot about the idea of the uncanny mm -hmm. um, and put in kind of very simple terms. The idea of the uncanny is <sighs> evolutionarily. It's like being um, unsure whether or not what you're looking at is, you know, a face or like a significant danger and threat or just something normal. Um, you might say that this is the reason that we see pictures of, of like Jesus Christ's face in Toast or the Shroud of Turin. Um, it's, you know, it's like when you're sitting in bed alone at night and you are looking at a coat rack in the corner of the room and you can't be sure if it's a person in a coat watching you or just the coat rack. Right. Um, and so I think one of the benefits of having bad visuals 
Um, that is kind of an evaluative term, I guess, low resolution visuals in games is that it makes it so much harder as a player to sometimes tell if what you're looking at is something you need to be scared of or not. Um, in Iron Lung, you take a picture of something in front of you and it's like, is that a creature or is that a, I don't know, like a plant? Or is that just like a piece of rubble that has fallen to the bottom of the ocean? I literally cannot tell. Yeah. Uh, and that is like scary because it's like you're, you're in this, you're in this very ambiguous space for a little bit where you actually have to make peace with the fact that you could be in danger, but you have no way of knowing. Uh, and that's a very stressful place to be for an extended period of time. Yeah. That, um, that kind of reminds me of like, um, one of my like favorite game series was like the thief games and they always had like a nice weird, like, uh, kind of supernatural element to them. Uh, so in the third game in particular, there is a, uh, a section of the game called the cradle. And it <laughs> like, if you, if you ever like, you, you think like the most, like most haunted scenario possible, the cradle is an abandoned orphanage that eventually had a mental ward built onto it that burned down to the ground. Yikes. <laughs> exactly. So the, the orphanage side of it is actually fairly easy. And you like, you know, there's like, you encounter a ghost of a little girl and she's like, wanting you to get like stuff. The mental asylum is where shit got weird. So like, that's like, so this game was kind of a, a little like, you know, low polygons S game. And so, this game did like a really great, this section of this game did a great job of like really amplifying that, like, you know, the unease and like paranoia factor almost is like, I guess would be the best way to describe it. It's Cause the game is kind of steampunkish. And so there's electricity. So there are lights on and the things that are on this side are, I guess, I don't know. You don't, you can't get a great look at them because they kind of like stick to the shadows, but anytime mm -hmm. that they get near a light source, the lights will start flickering. And as for like, for like in terms of like an elemental like <laughs> design idea that is so good at like just triggering that, like that fear response. Cause like your, your characters, like it's like a stealth game. So you're like sneaking, but then like you notice out of the corner of your eye, you start seeing a light flickering. And so you immediately like freeze and it's like, Oh God, is this just like, is one of these things approaching? Is this light having a short circuit? Like what is happening? What do I need to do? I need to hide like right now. Mm -hmm. And that game, that section of that game always stuck to me because of just that function like the idea of the immediate you know something is wrong and the game is like either trying to mess with you or build something up that it evokes that like that you know like we we're saying like this fight or flight response and immediately these things are invincible so you can't fight them so you have to flee right and you know i feel like there there are like other games that have you know it's even to the day like day now we have games that have removed your ability to fight back mm -hmm. you know um amnesia was like that um trying to think of some other ones like uh even the you know the famous jump scare games of like you know like five nights at freddy's or yeah. some of the other stuff and just the like the environment the like not only just your your ability to fight back is gone, but just how they design the spaces as a whole. Like Amnesia, I played Amnesia, and it's like, oh, this place is already kind of creepy and dark. And the fact that like I, you know, 
can't see very well and they're this right stuff you can hear off into the distance really like helps sell that because like you know if even if you couldn't fight back if it was like a well-lit room and <laughs> you know there was like windows and birds chirping I, I don't think it would carry the same weight you know no it'd be easier to see yeah again it goes kind of back to that that idea that i was saying it's like limiting the perspective i mean ambiguity is just scary Mm -hmm. um i guess i'll get a little bit like psychoanalytic here again but um there are certain things like you know uh, lacan jacques lacan talks about how a lot of people are deeply uncomfortable with just like not knowing the outcome of a situation or just not knowing what kind of situation they're in we would almost prefer psychologically in many instances to just know that we're in danger yeah like just yeah just like show me that something's coming after me cool i know what situation i'm in i know what i have to do it might be stressful and scary but at least i'm not caught in this middle ground of deciding like being unable to decide if i should hide because the light is flickering um or if i should just ignore it because that's a thing that lights do right um so i think that yeah ambiguity is just an incredibly good way and and that kind of i think i think that does both the thing of like it overwhelms you Mm -hmm. right which is not to say that it takes away your options um but it, it puts you in a situation where your knowledge is limited such that actually you just don't know what you should be doing yeah that's like um that's kind of like I think the like the, the the removal of stuff or it's like a, it's like with light lovecraft you know it's like the fear of the unknown yeah can really like heighten you know and, and it's like even things happening that are that make no sense can sometimes like cause that um, mm-hmm. I guess like the other game that I like listed along there like like eternal darkness that game that game is always like visited upon by people because of its ability to do things that make no sense whatsoever and it becomes unsettling you know so this game was notorious for turning up the volume on your tv uh flipping the screen upside down uh to the point where i have a friend that played this game and still loves this game talking about booting the game up and it's saying that it has erased your safe data yep (laughs) but like i think those things would be more gimmicky but it's also the fact that the game adds in this extra horror element of you're playing characters in different time periods who are having to deal with unknown factors. Um, I went to a, a panel one time at, at dragon Con where um, it was uh Mike Magola, like the creator of Hellboy talking about Lovecraft and like the fear of the unknown kind of thing where he talked about like how characters in those books aren't necessarily stupid. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you watch like some slasher flick or whatever. And it's like, you know, the, everybody makes the joke about like, you know, kids doing dumb things in horror movies and right. getting killed. He talks about like how characters in those books are like hyper intelligent to the point that like they're running through everything in their minds and the green glow coming underneath the door with a thing banging on the door versus whatever's coming through the wall. What both of neither one of these options is good they're both going to get you killed. It's just a matter of how long. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and I think games that do that put players in those kind of like scenarios, but like adding into it can like, you know, a lot of people draw from that. Like it's this unknown thing. Constantly. I think, um, well, so like, because I mentioned it earlier, the thing John Carpenter's movie Mm -hmm. is often referred to as a horror movie in which everyone is very smart and everyone actually does everything right. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Um, it's much, I think that's more terrifying because then, you know, it leaves hanging in the air this question of like, could we have done anything else? If, they, um, if they'd spoke watch... Norwegian, they would have fixed it really fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you watch something like Halloween, right, or even, um, I don't know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, I, I, I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but a lot of these older films, you know, you're screaming, don't go in the basement, you're stupid. Um, and it's very easy, I think, from an outside perspective to say that, well, this is, I simply would have done this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, why are they still staying in the house in paranormal activity? They should go spend the night in a church or something. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's much better when it's not clear what the obvious choice is. Yeah. Um, I think, well, I have some interesting examples to give that I think are bad examples of, of how this isn't handled properly. Uh-huh. Um, but I do want to say also about that, like, eternal darkness, <clears throat> this um, this gimmicky scare tactic, perhaps we might say, like you said, of doing things that are a little bit more meta, like trying to delete the save file or inverting the... Uh, the image i you know some other games have done that recently i think um what is it pony island yeah and doki um, doki literature club yeah you know they would just like they would crash the game on you right um i do think what's unsettling about that game design choice in a way that's maybe not entirely gimmicky is that it collapses the the frames Mm -hmm. um people who have done sort of like ludological work on on the different kind of frames of reality that you buy into when you're playing a video game. You have you as the player. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the frame of the game that is like the rules, the system of rules itself. Um, this might be easier to think about in terms of like a tabletop role-playing game. And in particular, I'm thinking about like Joseph Laycock takes, talks about this in his book, um, dangerous games Mm. and then you actually have kind of the diegetic world itself which is like the internal fictional world and the logic that it sort of operates by and on that level you're the character you're no longer the player Um, and so even if you do get scared by things in the game in the back of your head there is always this knowledge or at least there should be this knowledge of well you know the demon in the game can't hurt me it can only hurt the player or the character that I'm playing as. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, the game shouldn't be able to, you know, damage my television or my console or delete my save file. Because again, something like a save file exists on a higher frame of reference than, you know, like whoever the character in Eternal Darkness is. Yeah. One of the things that's scary about that more meta design is that it collapses the frames um you all of a sudden cannot be sure that the thing in the game is not somehow reaching out to you 
the player in reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's this fear of, you know, the demon girl in the ring climbing out of the TV and killing you. Right. Um, my game just crashed, you know? Holy crap. Um, are the devs, like, sending a demon to come haunt me now in the real life because I, you know, I decided to play Doki Doki Literature Club? I mean, it's that deeply unsettling feeling of, you know, you're, you've been ejected back to your desktop and you only have yourself and silence to sit there for a second and just think what is happening. Yeah. Or it's um, like, you know, like, uh, I think like what game, when games like interact with the player as well as what they're doing in screen. Right. Uh, acknowledging the player directly, acknowledging the artifice of the fictional world can be terrifying if done properly. At that point, uh, I definitely think Doki Doki Literature Club does. At that point, it's almost like pulling whatever you're doing into the environment, I guess, at that point. Sort of. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting consideration as well. It's not just collapsing the frame in the direction of the real world, but perhaps also pulling the real world into the game space itself. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, like, and, you know, well, the person that we tend to talk about a lot, like, loves to do stuff like that. Like, you know, think about, like, with Kojima and, like, Metal Gear Solid with yeah. Psychomantis. Right. Reading your save file or you have to unplug the controller and do other things, that kind of stuff. Put it in port two, yeah. Yeah. But, like, the ideas of using stuff like that as an element of unsettlingness and with the horror as kind of, like, a part of the the design function mm-hmm. is different. Like, you know, and it, it, it can pre- present that unsettlingness because it is pulling you and the environment around you into this game. Mm-hmm. So. It is uh, trespassing on, on sacred ground that seems like it should not be accessible to the logic of the game itself. Right. Yeah, I think um, another game that I that I want to mention here that is not exactly a horror game, but I've been dying to talk about it in some capacity. Uh-huh. That, that really kind of does this collapsing of the frames thing extremely well is um, Pathologic. Uh-huh. Um, definitely not a horror game, though it has horror elements, as we've said of a couple of games on this list already. Um, especially like Pathologic 2005. Um, I haven't actually played Pathologic 2. To my knowledge, it is just a kind of updated HD remake with like better game systems than the original. Mm. Um, Pathologic... I won't spoil anything story-wise, I guess, for anybody who's interested in playing it. And I do encourage people to play it because I think it's a wonderful game. It is also the most stressful game I've ever played in my entire life. Oh, my. Um, And it's very interested in mocking the player for their inability to actually affect meaningful change outside of the scope of what's been determined in the story. And not in a traditional way. I mean, like... Similar to many role-playing games, Pathologic has multiple endings, and you can actually choose how the game ends if you've done the prerequisites necessary to get the endings set up. Um, but even then, there are like secret non-ending interactions that like still kind of tease you for just being, you know, a play a player in a kind of like opera play in which you know all the endings have already just been written for you. So there's that kind of existential. Um, horror of like you know being confronted with the fact that perhaps you're just a puppet in a game but as far as environmental design is concerned what makes pathologic so stressful is actually that so the game the game uh happens in real time 
Uh-huh. If you don't know what the premise is, you're a doctor who is in a small uh, Russian village somewhere. Uh, you've gone there for a research purpose. This is one of the characters you could play, but it's the character that I played. Um, you've gone there for research, and over the course of the first day that you are there, you've been, you begin to slowly start piecing together the fact that this town is on the verge of a massive, like, pandemic outbreak, serious yeah. disease that, like, has an insanely high fatality rate. Um, and similar to, like, a Majora's Mask-style game, time is constantly ticking. Certain things can only be done on certain days. And one of the most painful things about the game is that you walk relatively slow for a first-person game. Mm -hmm. Um, And the town is big, and you only have a limited amount of time to do everything each day, and you don't even start the day knowing all of what you can do. Sometimes you actually have to go exploring, and you have to find an NPC who will give you a quest that you actually need to do in order to save someone's life. Otherwise, they'll get sick and die the next day. That means every morning when you wake up, you know, when it's, I don't know, either 6 a.m. or 8 a.m., depending on when you go to bed in-game, you need to start planning your route through the village meticulously. Because if you backtrack too much, or if you waste too much time going to a part of the town that is not relevant for you on that particular day, you will run out of time to get your tasks done, and people will start dying. Oh, wow. Um, and it's it's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so stressful, and there's no way to speed it up. Some people have actually, like, downloaded mods to, you know, give you double run speed. Um, I would argue that it fundamentally, you know, kind of kneecaps what I think is one of the most interesting things about the game, which is its ability to just make me so frustrated. Yeah. Uh, as a player, but also recognizing that that's kind of the point. You know, the, the point is that you're a limited person with limited resources who can only move so fast and who has only so many hours in the day trying to fight what seems to be an unbeatable enemy, which is, you know, an uncaring, unthinking virus that's killing everyone. Oh, wow. Uh, and also certain parts of the town, as days goes on, go on, they become like infected districts, which you either have to avoid or risk catching the plague yourself. Um, or they become burned districts where the plague has moved on, but then outlaws and criminals and stuff have moved in, and so you run the risk of, like, I don't know, getting attacked or mugged uh, when you go into them. Yeah. It's interesting, and, and I do recommend pe- pe- people play it at least once. That is but, that is kind of neat. That, uh, that, that almost, like, real-world-esque stress, like, adding that extra yeah. element to the game is very interesting. Um, it is. Uh, I started, you know, waking up at four in the morning and drinking tons of coffee in the game <laughs> because I was like, I don't have enough hours in the day to do everything. <laughs> it's like real life. <laughs> I know. It's, it's I, so funny. I guess it's like more of that, like breaking down that barrier between like playing the game and everything. Like, it's so funny because you talk about like, you know, stuff stressing you in real life. Going back to Dead Space. um, I played Dead Space 1 in, like, the optimal way. Like, I played no lights in my room, like, my surround sound headphones on. And it got to the point where I was playing that game so much, I started dreaming about it at night. Oh, no. And, like, I would have, like, waking nightmares. And uh, I had to tell my roommate at the time, like, hey, if it's past 10 p.m. and I am playing this game, you need to stop me. 
like make me go do something else for a while because i was like dreaming about like necromorphs being in my bedroom and like i was like awake sitting up in my bed and like i was like oh my god so <laughs> but I, i've had those problems before where, like playing a game too much and you start dreaming about the game yeah so maybe that's the true horror <laughs> i used to dream about um combos and dragon ball fighters because i would just spend hours learning certain combo routes and characters just like that's the main way i played the game and so i was dreaming about it for a while well um i think this kind of like lets us bring us to the 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 game that originally kind of sparked this episode uh with like uh so uh i think you michael you'd sent me the video and then Mm -hmm. i actually played it so there's a mod out right now for doom called myhouse.wad and if you want to find out a whole lot about it, there are a lot of great videos about it right now. Um, but right now, currently in like pop culture space, kind of what sparked our idea to talk about like environmental horror was like liminal space is like so big right now. Yeah. From YouTube videos in the back rooms, and now there are actual video games with the back rooms. Uh, my house does this great thing of like making you feel comfortable and then just like ripping it all away from you. (laughs) And I think that is an interesting elemental like design choice for like environment. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, and I I wrote it in our notes because it's the kind of like, I I always feel like the progenitor of like the idea of like liminal horror and that's like house of leaves. Yeah. You know, you know, House of Leaves is this book. I don't. I I can't call it a book. I always call it like a work of art because it's so interesting. You know, it's mm-hmm. about you know a guy finding uh what is it a tape about a documentary about this house that starts just spawning like hallways and stuff. You know, and what made my house even more interesting as a game is the fact that there's like clues to stuff that supposedly happens in the real world so it's almost kind of like how we were talking about like with doki doki literature club and all that where it's like it's breaking that barrier kind of right where it's like doom is a game that has been out for years and doom mods have always been around and suddenly it's like this guy finds this doom mod and you start playing it and it's really freaky (laughs) like playing through it was interesting yeah i think one of the things that i'll just say like i'm not terribly you know, I'm not old enough to have played Doom 2 or 1 growing up or whatever it's a mod for. Uh, though I did find myself very fascinated by the video. Um, I think, whose channel is it on? Who he talks about? I just want to... Uh, myhouse.wad. Um, so if people, like, want to just, like... Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to add it to the links. So yeah, that way. Power Pack is the, is the uh, YouTube channel's name. He's got, like, a two-hour video. It's really worth checking out. Yes. Um... And one of the things that hooked me, I didn't think I was going to be terribly interested in this because I was like, Doom Mod, whatever. Um, But he goes on for a while to actually explain what is traditionally considered possible and what is traditionally considered impossible from a technical standpoint uh, as far as Doom Mods are concerned. Mm. And I think per our conversation of like collapsing frames of reference and like, you know, causing you to really kind of pause and think and wait a second like well how what's happening here like myhouse.wad seems to do things that shouldn't be possible for a doom mod for like the limited engine that the game is running on yeah um like multi-layered three-dimensional spaces and also transforming level designs like you walk through a door you turn around and all of a sudden 
the door's gone. I don't know, like, the, the door is gone, or the door that you came through now goes into a different room. Yeah. Um, that was what interested me, because I was like, how is it happening if it shouldn't be possible? Yeah. Um, really, what it is is just, I think the modder was incredibly technically proficient with the mod tools and, and the game engine itself, but it's really interesting. And and they even do stuff for, like, someone like me who has played Doom, like, and old enough to, like, they alter, like, even, like, Doom music to make it, it's just, it's just, like, it's just enough off that it, like, it's uneasy. Yeah. And... That was very interesting. It's stuff like that that really, like, kind of help. like, I think that's, like, kind of the thing with, like, the whole liminal space right now is, like, it's the... It's almost like the how liminal space makes people feel. It's almost like reverse nostalgia, or like mm. anti-nostalgia, I guess. Interesting. Where it's like, I know this place. I know where I'm at right now. Like there, I, I, that makes me think. Like a great example in Dead Space. Now I was thinking about it because like, I'm going to keep coming back to Dead Space. Uh, the nursery in Dead Space. Mm-hmm. Like you get to the nursery and you're like, oh, it's a nursery. This should be like a safe place. And it's not because those creepy baby monsters still freak me out to this day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's it's the idea of taking something that shouldn't be scary and just amplifying it. Like you know, the whole idea behind the back rooms is like, oh, you like you. Uh, I think it's one of our friends, but you no clip through reality, and next thing you know, you're in these like sickly yellow hallways that go on for forever. Ah, uh, yeah. So. It's uh, it, it almost combines that unknown, but yet you look at the place you're in and you're like, this. I've seen places like this before. Because, you know, the whole idea yeah. of, like, liminal, like, walking down a hallway or something like that because it's a transition space. But you know those, and it takes it takes that comfort, like, kind of like what we were talking about, like, earlier, and it turns it on its head in, in a way. And that's why I kind of, like, was saying, like, like uh, it would be, like, anti-nostalgia. Yeah, it's like... It's like a, a memory with data corruption, you know? Yeah. Like, you feel like you should recognize what's happening and potentially be comforted by the memory, but something is, like, missing. Mm-hmm. Something is, like, off. Um, but also, you can't quite tell what's off. Yeah. So um, the, that uneasiness starts to set in. Right. And eventually, that uneasiness can turn into, like unsettled and like paranoia and you're like you know you're constantly like looking over your shoulder and it's like what right. what is setting off this like fight or flight response right here right you're not sure if you're out of the mod yet or not because yeah. you finish my house.wad the second level of doom loads you beat it and then randomly the mod loads itself again yep and then you're back at the the weird house or it's kind of yeah. like what we're talking about, where it's like my game crashed, and you pull, you know, you push yourself away from the desk, and then you get up, and it's like, is the game really over with? Like, right? Am I going to wake up and I'm actually still in the game? Yeah, like that. Is, that's a really interesting like thought. Now, <laughs> we've like said this out loud. It's like the idea of like the environment expanding beyond, and like you think about like, could someone design? Like if like a game developer like worked on a game with the you know and they're working on the environmental like parts of it to to add to that uneasiness because you can make like a I think you can make a premise that's pretty easy like I I really think like the earlier Resident Evil games 
aren't really scary. But like a lot of people like to point to them where it's like, oh, you know, it's it's a zombie game thing. I don't think it's until like like maybe like RE4 and maybe even the newest ones where it, they really took that they they decided to stop focusing on just the random like oh it's zombies or stuff and really decided to take ideas from better environmental designs. It's like mm-hmm. I've I've played a little bit of seven and that game is claustrophobic as hell. Yes. Like and that's on top of all of the other weird shit that's happening in that game. That game like really makes you feel uncomfortable. And eight has some parts of it, I think because of the success of seven eight had a lot to live up to and it did it it still does good parts like uh, there's the dollhouse that's really really good um, yeah so but you know it's it's interesting to think about like the idea of like breaking down this wall like we were talking about and like bringing your environment into the game as like an added layer and like i would love to hear like how the devs like get to that point like that they decide to do something like that Mm-hmm. So. yeah that'd be interesting I guess like another thing to talk about like would be uh, with the terms of like sex- games that don't have horror but have like aren't really horror games but have great sections of horror would be like like Bioshock like the original Bioshock has some really amazing sections that are the t- like the environment and the tension that it sets really helps like sell like a an uneasiness kind of thing so yeah it's been a while since I've played Bioshock um, I do think that that's, you know, just off the top of my head, I think that's one of the reasons that the original Bioshock is so much better than Bioshock 2. Yeah. Uh, is because playing as a big daddy, you know, it's like... Yeah, I'm the scary thing. Right, now I'm the scary thing. What I'm, I'm, I'm the apex predator in the ecosystem. Yeah. I, was, I always thought that was a weird design choice. Yeah. I think it's fun. I mean, it, it's... Well, it's... To go back to what I was saying earlier, it's the difference between a horror game and an action game. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between Alien and Aliens, and Dead Space 1 and Dead Space maybe 2 and 3. Yeah, um, it's, it's that move from I'm terrified and I'm powerless and I don't know what's going on to I have control of my surroundings and I can maneuver in a relatively reasonable way. Yeah, which... I think I like I got one more that we can talk about and then we'll, we'll probably start wrapping up. But uh, we were talking about sure. aliens. Alien Isolation yeah. is a fantastic game <laughs> that takes everything from the original Alien and like adds to it along with an artificial intelligence that really likes to fuck with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I've seen videos of people playing that game and they've had their microphone on and the aliens walking past them and be like, yeah, keep walking bitch. And the alien turns around and it's like, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think the AI in alien isolation is possibly still just like one of the best horror AI that they've made. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have a friend at my university who studies art history and we had an interesting conversation about this the other day. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to the question of the uncanny and, and being unsure of whether or not what you're dealing with is an intelligent subject or something that cannot meaningfully respond to you in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done work before on the uneasiness that somebody feels when they're looking at a painting in which somebody in the painting is actually depicted in such a way that they're looking out at you. 
the yeah. viewer of the painting. Um, and, you know, it's a momentary illusion. It doesn't last because, of course, they cannot meaningfully interact with you in any way. Um, but I think those same considerations when applied to something like a tremendously smart, I mean, arguably smarter than the player in many instances, artificial intelligence that can respond meaningfully to you, um, I do think that really kind of places it in the Uncanny Valley, where sometimes the alien is actually so smart that you feel like there has to be somebody on the other side controlling it. Yeah. Um, but conversely, I think that I, it's not it's not the feeling of something intelligent on the other side controlling it, because like otherwise, Dead by Daylight would be a scary game, and it's not. Right. Um, I've, in fact, I had that written down here as one of the examples of a game that seems like it should be a horror game, or maybe at one point was designed to be a horror game. And in fact, it probably feels less scary knowing that it's just, you know, some, some I don't know, 14-year-old kid on the other side of his parents' computer. Yeah. Um, but I do think Alien Isolation is exceptional mm-hmm. as far as the, the Xenomorph AI itself. Yeah, and, and the environment really invokes the original Alien a lot, which, uh, you know, you know, the fun story about the original Alien and like, you know, the people on the set not knowing about the Alien, right? I actually don't. Okay, uh, I'll tell this story and we'll start doing our wrapping up stuff, but uh, this one's always fun. Uh, so originally the movie was proposed as not a horror film. Uh, the actors did not know that there were going to be horror elements. So interesting. So the scene with the chest buster buster, uh, the only people who knew what was going to happen that day was the guy getting it attached to him. Uh, uh, the director and a couple of other people. And apparently, uh, the guy that was, that played the mechanic, um, he walked in and saw something, but wasn't entirely sure. And so when that scene happened, the woman who plays the medical officer scream and ran off set. Interesting. And there's even interviews with Sigourney Weaver that like after that stuff happened, they didn't know what the alien was supposed to look like. So the scene where she's like walking through and it's sitting in the corner and like, you know, there's the chains like hanging and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. She talks about how like when, when the guy stood up in the suit, she was like legitimately terrified because she didn't know what it was supposed to look like. And so my friend, like Ridley Scott, like, good, you know, you're, ter- you're does awful to do this to those people, but he wanted legitimate fear responses out of these people. And I'm like, what was the casting call? That's interesting. <laughs> Movie about space truckers must not have bad heart condition. Yeah, that's funny. So, um, I have one more game I want to mention for your right. time. Sure, one more. Because this is another game that I have been looking for any opportunity to talk about. Okay. Because I think it is criminally underrated. It came out, I think, last year. And it's one of the best games I think I've played ever. Okay. Um, and that is a game called Signalis. Mm-hmm. Um, a old school survival horror science fiction game in the vein of one of the like you know first two Resident Evil games. Um, limited perspective, slow-moving enemies, limited ammunition, um, aiming that requires you to stand still and move and, you know, aim for a long time to uh, actually hit things accurately. Yeah. 
Signalis does so many of the things that we've been talking about today as far as making itself scary. Yeah. Um, it's a game in which resource management can become very difficult as far as making sure you have enough ammunition and enough items. Like, this game really um, justified the hoarder instincts in me because I needed every single piece of equipment. Like, if I ended up using a healing thing in that game, it was because I needed to, not because I, you know, could have to make it, e make it easier. Yeah. But Signalis really... So the idea is you're playing as um, an android who was sent on a long space voyage with a, a young girl um, who, over time, you grow very close and end up developing, like, a romantic relationship with. Um, but after like 3,000 days or something floating through space, um, you discover that there are basically no viable colonization planets that you've discovered. Uh -huh. um, and so the order is given uh, that the girl is to go into cryosleep, uh, and you as the android are supposed to um, basically uh, decommission yourself. So basically you kill yourself. Um, and... It ends up being this like weird memory corruption thing um, where before this can happen, you either crash into a planet. The, the, the details of the story get very murky, but the idea is that you as this android are trying to... And you're not even sure if you're the original android or another android unit of the same kind that somehow cybernetically inherited the memories. But all you know is that you have like this weird built-in desire to go rescue this girl from her cryosleep on this weird planet that's also potentially being taken over by some eldritch creature that was like existing in the center of the planet. Wow. Um, you quote-unquote beat the game the first time. You get what's called the fake ending. The game ends. You get end credits. You get sent back to the main menu. And from there, you can decide to start a new game or just like continue with the same save file, or I, I'm not, I think you actually have to start a new game in order for this to happen. Mm. The game restarts, but the opening is entirely different. Not only that, the first level is entirely different and plays out in a different way that then takes you down into a second half of the game that you wouldn't have known about had you actually just stopped playing when you first got the ending. Um, and that's kind of doing this weird the collapsing of the frame of references thing because it, it there was like a very strange moment where i was just like what's happening here like am i going insane did i just miss this the first time around did i forget about this um and it's like a paranoid response where i'm just like there's no way this was here the first time and i just didn't see it yeah um and it's it's just a fantastic game uh cannot recommend more highly if you, if anyone listening, if you like survival horror games and you like good, weird cyberpunk storytelling, I mean, it's like it's like near Automata with you know Bloodborne story aesthetics and Resident Evil gameplay. So, go play it. All right, <laughs> noted. I will make sure to add that to the notes as well. So, all right. Well, I guess uh, any closing thoughts outside of go play Signalis. From you on uh, environmental horror? Um, no, I think I got it out of my system. <laughs> All right. Um, 
So yeah, that'll wrap it up for us. Uh, thanks for for sticking with us on this one. I think we had a lot of fun. This was our first time like doing an episode where like our notes were just like bare minimum, and we just decided to just like go in at it. And I think I think it was I think it's pretty awesome. So, uh, but next week or next month, uh, we will be back to usual talking about history. We're gonna do one last leg through the seventies where we talk about mainframe gaming. Yep. Uh, Got a, kind of some important stuff before uh, we really bust up into the 80s. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so and then after that, our December episode will be the obligatory instruction booklet awards show. Uh, and that one should also be a lot of fun. Uh, neither of us really know what we're going into and how we're going to do it, but we're, 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 we'll figure it out. We've We've made it what six episodes in so far y'all can trust us right seven if you count episode zero (laughs) seven if you count zero um so yeah so quick housekeeping real quick before we do our plugs uh the aych extra channel that you normally find us on is going away and it's going to be rolled over into the main aych channel which is where you'll be able to find us so you know we're just kind of moving homes for a little bit uh luckily we don't have to do a whole lot of packing so so just uh, be sure to keep an eye out for that. Uh, the AOSCH Extra channel will still be around and all of our previous episodes will be on there uh, as well. So, but yeah, so uh, Michael, where can, uh, where can the folks find you on the internet? Um, I think I may have just deleted my Twitter account. <laughs> I mean, that's um, fair. <laughs> uh, as always, I'm on Instagram, macro underscore prawns. Um, but my Instagram is not very exciting anyway, so you can always just find me here. Yeah, you just exist here whenever we turn yeah. the whenever the episode ends. You just don't exist anymore. Yeah, I I go into a weird liminal space in between states of being. What is it? Sako says in Bo Burnham's Inside. Yeah. Um, as for me, <laughs> you can find me right now. I'm I'm still doing I'm doing a Hollow Knight stream on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash backwards hero. I'm also on, on Instagram and Facebook under my art, uh press art f4 where I've been drawing a lot of little cozy ghosts for the month. Uh I also on Cajun Greatness, which is on hiatus right now, still, even though there are a ton of great Nicolas Cage movies like coming out right now. Um you can also find us, uh, the uh, the instruction booklet, all one word on Facebook. We're also instruction underscore BK on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can find all of this also on our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash instruction booklet. And uh, from now on, you'll find us on AYCH, which you can find as AYCH podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Also on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you get your podcast on. Hopefully we're there. We're not broadcasting to the outer planets yet, but we're working on it. So, but uh, other than that, we hopefully you have a fun spooky month. Maybe you go watch the spyhouse.wad video. Maybe you go play Signalis. If anything, you should probably go play Dead Space, though. Yeah. Uh, the remake is worth it. Yes. But the original also holds up, in my opinion. And the great part is, is like I'm fairly certain Steam or Epic or whatever you buy your games on, or probably have a sell on this game. So you know, go check it out. And you know, well, uh, I'll try and make a list of all the games we've talked about here, so that way people can check those out as well. In case you're really into these kind of games and just looking for something fun to play. Other than that, also System Shock Two. I won't say anything but the title System Shock Two. Oh, okay. So yeah. System Shock. Uh, So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll see y'all next month for episode seven. Have a good one.
See you guys.